You're listening to a bonus episode of The Dairy Age, featuring Chagisk's weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also available as a podcast. Morning, everybody. Uh, George Ramos, what I'm here. And uh, you're very welcome to our uh, short webinar this morning in the Let's Talk, Talk Dairy uh, scheme. And I'm joined this morning by a colleague of mine, James Dunn, a uh, cabin man, but we won't hold that against him. James is uh, our winter milk uh, kind of lead specialist. And uh, James, you're going to report back to us today on some of the uh, work that you've been doing and some of the farm walks that you ran. I think it was last week. You had a very successful run of farm walks across the week. I think they're all over the place. Where did James, where did you have those walks? Yep. So you're right, George. I suppose what we done, we done something a little bit different this year in terms of we had Winter Milk Week, um, which worked very well in the fact that we had a farm walk each day across the five days of last week. We started in County Mead. We um, headed to Wexford, West Cork, back up to Roscommon, and finished off in Monaghan. So we just over mm-hmm. 300 attendees um, across those five days. And I suppose if you look at it in terms of liquid and winter milk suppliers we probably had somewhere in the region of 12 to 14 percent of of actual suppliers there across the week so um we're very happy well attended and 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 great discussion and dialogue i suppose on on some of the key messages we're going to talk about today okay so we're going to focus in on i think it's three areas uh james one is about costs second is about kind of feed and yield and the third thing is about breeding and fertility so maybe you'll take us through this uh the key messages from this first board here which is a stark reminder of the way inflation has gone over the last year. You're talking about increased costs on winter milk farms. Yes. What kind of, a, what kind of an increase are you predicting? So I suppose when look at when I think it was important that we highlight this, George, in the fact that some of it maybe has been masked by a relatively good, obviously, um, manufacturing milk price. But it's important that people understand in terms of where the costs have actually gone on farms. And for your typical winter milk herd, the average cost um, in 2021 uh, to keep in the typical winter milk cow was 1934 euros. That cost has increased to a projected 2,682 euros or, or just under 750 euros of uh, additional cost inside one year. Um, if we look at the previous um, four years, the costs have increased probably 350 euros. So it's significant costs over the last five seasons in terms of the farms have, have incurred over that period. Okay, so it's a, it's a phenomenal increase in cost of production. Now, where did you get the or these data from, James, on the yep. cost? So, in terms of the data, um, what we done was we took we took the twenty twenty one e profit monitor data, um, for liquid and winter milk farms, um, we took that as the baseline, and we didn't change any of the actual input quantities, George. But okay. what we did was we imposed cost assumptions then in terms of feed an increase of 160 per ton you can see them down there along your screen in terms of fertilizer to 50 percent and so on and we'll make the slides available for people to to see those but that's important to note that the quantities weren't increased the only thing that was increased in this analysis was the actual cost of cost of the inputs Okay, or the quantities weren't reduced either, James. Absolutely. We, we held the quantities constant across the period. So if someone was able to maybe reduce a bit of fertilizer, maybe more clover in the sward or whatever, maybe a bit of drought that didn't, feed, that didn't uh, 
put out as much. There might and be a small cost saving there. That, that's an important point, George, in the fact that I suppose these are, are average and typical for the average, but ultimately, I suppose, individual farms w will possibly be above or below in terms of these costs. Okay. So what are the big ticket items coming out of this uh, analysis, James, are your predictions here? The, the big thing there, I suppose, George, is that look at a feed at 852 euros, and that covers concentrate and any other additional purchase feeds on these farms. Um, that is, that's making up a third of the overall costs, I suppose, and that leads into the into the next topic we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. That's the big one, I suppose, and even during the period at the moment in terms of how hard can we feed the winter hard efficiently over this period, that's going to have a significant impact. Um, Fertiliser, to a certain degree, George, as you say, in terms of incorporation of clover, there may be small reductions there, and that's going to take time. A lot of that has happened at this stage. So the big ones there, and I suppose a lot of our emphasis was was on was on feed and forage quality. Um, the couple of things, I suppose, which I want to highlight on this, and, and there were strong messages coming back throughout the week, was people need to be aware, I suppose, that those aren't break-even costs, George. Um, they've, they've been brought to a certain point, um, and really what, what individual farmers need to look at there is adding in the cost of capital repayments, um, drawings and taxation. And yeah. it's not uncommon when we do that, we're looking at something over 41 cent a litre there um, for a six, a six and a half thousand litre herd. Um, it's not uncommon that we could ask uh, add 12 to 13 cent a litre um, over and above that, depending on the scale and depending on the level of barns and, and drawings required. Okay, so so you could be at 53 or 54 centiliter, George, very even in terms of break-even costs. Oh, so we've seen a, a phenomenal increase in, in production costs. Now, I suppose, just to bear in mind, James, those costs include heifer-rearing costs as well. Isn't that correct? That's Absolutely. And I think it's an important point, but ultimately, I suppose, no dairy system, let it be spring or winter, runs without... Um, some form of a replacement enterprise. Absolutely, and and it, someone something has to pay for it too. So I suppose uh, the bottom line on your on this board here, James, if before we move on, is that everyone should kind of maybe do uh, an analysis of the cost of production this year, maybe by completing the profit monitor for the dairy business and see what kind of cost and profitability was generated in twenty twenty two. I think we made that point that ultimately maybe the most important year to do actual um, benchmark analysis is a good year, George. Um, that 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 silly things don't happen at, at farm level, you know, and we can plan out over the next couple of years in terms of what can be done if there is additional funds there. So yeah, we're scaring people here maybe with the the cost jump, but on the other side, it looks like with the with the milk prices gone, it'll it'll still be a relatively good year. It, it's looking like a good year, I suppose. Where the concerns is if input costs remain high and um, milk price um, starts to fall back in terms of that, that's where the margins will become squeezed. Okay. Move on to the next slide then, James. We'll talk a bit about this is that your feed board. Um, so one of the things you, you've done on this board is you've highlighted the, the variation that's there in terms of maybe milk yield within a herd and maybe the variation that you'll see on farms sometimes in terms of forage quality. Will we start off with the, with the milk yield variation first, James? And just tell us, why was, did you put that in? Why was it important? Yeah. So one of the biggest things we see in terms of when we look at these farms from a profitability point of view is the herds that get... Um, feeding correct or, or, or meeting that kind of herd nutrient demand correct in terms of that they're not grossly overfeeding the herd, George, really, are yeah. the farms that 
Um, they're utilizing the most forage and I suppose they're making best use of their concentrated inputs then. What we did was we took um, milk recorded data throughout December and January for um, high yielding herd um, delivering 8,000 litres. So an exceptionally high yielding herd. Um, and we looked at that analysis to say, okay, in terms of where the herd performance is actually at over that period. The herd average over that period is 28.3 kilos. Um, it's important, I suppose, why we're highlighting that is that we can see there's a percentage of cows there in terms of um, yielding above 40 kilos of milk. Um, everyone wants to talk about these cows, George. Um, yeah. We all love them. They're the favourites. But I suppose yeah. what we wanted to highlight was that it's important um, we set our herd feeding levels appropriately and that we don't, I suppose, just talk about the cows that's producing the high levels of milk. So we can see there that 24% of the cows are actually yielding less than 23 kilos of milk. So if we set the, the base diet something around the herd average, we're grossly overfeeding a large proportion of the herd and ultimately there's concentrate being wasted. What, what I would say, George, here, and I made the point on each board last week, is that there's no underfeeding of cows to go on here. Ultimately, every cow is to be fed and fed appropriately. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to grossly overfeed the lower and mid-performing cows. Okay, okay. So the blue graph then represents the total number of cows in the herd. And it's it, there's a huge variation there, James, really, isn't there? Absolutely. Tell us about forage quality there, James, um, and why it's important um, and why it's, why it's it's kind of, it can be variable at farm level, but why is it important? Yeah. So this seems age old, George, and even yeah. yourself, you've been talking about this a long time in terms of forage quality and silage quality and, and even people before us. But I suppose it's something that we haven't got right on farm yet. We know that from the analysis in terms of the silage analysis is coming back. But what we wanted to show was, I suppose, the impact of People said poor quality forage, but 69 DMD, unfortunately, is the average quality forage on farms out there um, versus high quality um, forage at 75 DMD. And what we can see there is at different meal feeding levels, as we increase from yeah. seven up to eight to nine, we can see the, the, the yield um, likely from two different forages, the average and the high quality. And there's something between four to five kilos of milk there, George, in the difference um, in terms of daily yield. At the moment, um, winter producers receiving 80 cent a litre, that's working in something in around um, four euros a day. So it's a significant amount of money in the difference. And I suppose one question that came up was the difference in terms of the actual costs of making this silage. It's not as, as big as people think, because in terms of when we go for that big, uh, bulky first cut of silage, what we're actually doing when we look at annual production, uh, we're often robbing yield from second and, and possibly um, reducing the chance of, of a third cut as well. So um, it's important, I suppose, in terms of just to highlight forage quality there. The other point, George, is that ultimately, I suppose, nutritionists aren't magicians. If we don't give them good forage to work with in terms of um, putting our diets together, we cannot put together um, a high energy diet in terms of this going to deliver high levels of performance. Mm. The figures in red um, are just to be aware in terms of when we get up to those levels, um, we do run the risk in terms of acidosis at a third level. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually surprised, James, at how much extra meal is needed 
to achieve 31 litres compared to the higher uh, quality silage. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that data, it's a good point, that data was run through the Inrash feed model, again, yeah. for an 8,000 litre. That's a freshly calved cow, George, I suppose, 60 yeah. days in milk, so she's at the peak of her powers as well. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit about the Johnstown diet over on the right. What's in it and uh, how does it, yeah, how does it, how's it going? Yeah. So the typical Johnstown diet, I suppose, is um, what we're really trying to do there is push high levels of, of quality forage intake. So nine kilos of grass silage, four and a half kilos of maize. And I suppose that's given us 13 and a half kilos of, of actual forage intake. If forage quality is poor, we've often seen that being down at, at maybe 10, 10, 11 kilos of forage intake. And that's mm-hmm. where a lot of the extra production comes from. It's the additional additional forage intake. We're topping that up. And I suppose what we're doing there, George, is balancing that with a 23% blend, a very simple maize meal, beet pulp, soya distillers. Uh, that's just to, to, to balance in terms of the maize silage in the diet, that low, lower crude protein. And then in terms of a high energy, 18% nut. So everything above the 18% nut is going in in a TMR. Um, yeah. That's your base diet. And then ultimately, um, the autumn calf cows get five and a half kilos of okay. an 18% nut across the board in the parlor. Okay. So if I was to, just to summarize quickly, this board here, James, there's two things coming out. One is feed your cows according to their yield rather than blanket feed everything. And the second thing that will come out and this is, this is relevant for spring milk, but even more so for winter milk, forage quality is king. Yeah. One other point, George, before we actually yep. leave that is the milk response. Um, at, uh, the milk response per kilo of meal fed is an important one. I come up with a lot of farmers in okay. terms of milk prices high. Um, yep. Ultimately, we can feed as much concentrate as we want. The important point there is on two forages, we can see that there's a declining response for each additional kilo fed. And we know that, that there's not a linear response. So that ultimately somewhere in around that eight and a half to nine kilos of um, concentrate to a freshly calved cow is going to give us the best response. As we increase um, over that on high quality forage, um, we're running into break even and ultimately um, a, a, negative a negative economic return. All right. So if we look at the bottom of that board, there are 75 DMD silage. And there's a 1.3 under the eight. That means that for feeding one more kilo of meal, from going from seven to eight kilos, you're getting a response of 1.3 liters or kilos. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And that's falling off as you go across to the right there. And that's the important point that it does fall off, George, in terms of there's maybe a perception out there that um, one farmer made the comment that meal was never as cheap. But ultimately, the assumption there was that we were getting the same response for the for the seven kilo as we uh, for the ten kilo as we would be for the seven kilo, and that's not the point. Okay, we'll move across then to the last slide, James. And in this slide here, you talked a bit about breeding and fertility for winter milk herds, which is not something we hear about too often. Now, James, I love scatter plots. Tell us what's going on in the scatter plots for us. Yeah, so really, I suppose, and I should have made the point at the start, a lot of these boards were actually dictated by a winter milk steering committee, which there's 10 farmers on around the country. So um, when we were looking at putting these together, we were actually looking at the problems of winter milk herds. And one of the ones that comes up a lot, George, is I suppose it's the, it's the difference in terms of milk price um, uh, 
between manufacturing herds and between winter herds. And a lot of that um, is, it's all of that, I should say, is coming down from actual constituents. So what we did here was we picked out 668 cows of second yeah. lactation or above. So we took all cows of second lactation of, or above across the five commercial farms that we were on um, during the week. And we wanted to look at actual protein and fat delivered versus the genetic potential. So in terms of what is the genetics within the EBI for each individual cow? And if we look at, in terms of uh, the middle board here, look at the protein, we can see as yeah. we increase the genetic potential for protein, the actual protein delivered increases across the board. Each okay. one of those dots is an individual cow. Yeah. And when we look at the R squared or the correlation between both, um, the R squared is 0.75 in this case. So what that actually tells us is that the variation of protein on these farms, 75% um, of it is explained by genetics alone. Yeah. So a really, very, really very strong well. correlation there that if you pick for, for better protein or improved genetics protein, that ultimately you get it. And as I say, that's across just under 700 commercial cows on the farms. The same can be seen for fat at 0.68. So 68% of the variation there. Again, a very, very strong correlation, um, which is good because um, we would be pushing farmers in terms of, I suppose, to increase the PDs within their herd for fat and protein. And we can see that when that happens, it's coming to fruition. Okay. On the left-hand side, James, of that board, when I'm looking at it here, you can see some of the targets you've set for the herds. What are the two or three key ones that you'd be uh, focusing on as a winter milk uh, producer? Yeah. So a big one there, obviously, in terms of calf and interval, and we all know that... Um, it's it's north of 400 days and ultimately i suppose what's happening there is there's milk being lost within these herds because there's there's too high a percentage of the herd spending um a proportion of a portion of the period in stale milk george what we're looking to do there is actually maximize peak per peak lactations and, and peak production so we want to reduce that down the targets are no different than they are for for spring calving herds and mm -hmm. um, sometimes there's a conversation around oh well fertility can be fertility can be lax in terms of we've two calving we've two calving periods that's not the case and um, mm -hmm. the herds that are delivering the best performance are hitting these parameters in terms of um 370 day calving interval we want compact calving periods george uh, plus why? of 80 percent important in spring why is this as important in winter as it is in spring james yeah absolutely so it's no different in terms of what are we looking to do in terms of we want to maximize in terms of in terms of labor efficiency on the farm and i should point that out george there's an additional four hours per cow um, okay. of labor requirement when we split the calving pattern. Um, and we know that there's labor efficiencies can be gained from calving the cows compactly. Okay. We get all our young heifers into, or we get our replacements calved down early in the season. And ultimately in terms of efficiency around feeding the herd then um, as a group. Okay. And tell us about your bull, your bull team target last year. There's a couple of questions then we'll come to those in a minute. Tell us about your bull team target. It doesn't look much different from the spring milk uh, side of the, the targets we set. I think it's very similar to what you talk about in the spring, George. Absolutely. Um, so I suppose that's where a lot of the conversation come from in the walks and times. Do, do we need a different cow? And our work in Johnstown would show that ultimately, I suppose, the exact same cow calved in the autumn and the spring 
that ultimately there's a 10% increase in yield in, in the autumn calvers and that that is coming down from um, additional feed inputs. So that cow can perform equally as well in an autumn cat system or in a spring cat system. What mm. is she? She She's a medium-sized cow, um, um, a very fertile cow that can deliver high levels of kilos of milk solids. How are we going to get there? I think the important message across the week was that we want balance, George. Um, yeah. We want production and fertility. And we're seeing when we look at our lifetime milk recording reports, it's those cows that have a good production sub-index, good fertility sub-index, the balance between the two, those are the cows that's really delivering at farm level. So we want 100 of a production sub-index, 120 of a fertility sub-index. Maintenance somewhere between 5 and 15. Um, people maybe, George, get caught up on whether she should be... Uh, whether she should be a 570-580 kilo cow, whether she should be a 600 kilo cow. Um, I suppose that some of that is is down to farmer preference. Um, the important point there is that, she, that she's delivering high, high kilos of milk solids and she's very fertile. Health should be positive. Um, I think that's a very, very important one. And Don Crowley would push that in the fact that when we look at antibiotic usage, um, we, sh- we shouldn't be using negative uh, bulls that are negative on the health sub-index. But the big one is there that the production sub-index is coming from combined kilos of milk solids being driven of high constituents, um, 0.17 for protein, 0.25 for fat, rather than excessive kilos of milk, George. And that's yeah. one maybe that's often confused on on, on winter milk farms. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. James, listen, a couple of questions come in there. Can you just roll back up to the previous slide for a second? And ask you this point. I think it's kind of more point of clarification. And I said, the, someone came in here. Can for the Johnstown diet? Can you clarify if the concentrated feeding rates are dry matter or fresh weight? Yeah. Uh, Board is saying dry matter, which you're talking dry, about. They're dry matter, absolutely. Yep. Okay. So it's actually eight and a half kilos between the blend and the nut of dry, dry matter. matter. Around yeah. nine nine kilos fresh weight, give or take. Yeah. Ten ten to ten fresh weight almost. Yeah. Exactly. So what you're, look, you're looking at 22 kilos of dry matter intake. And we know that those freshly calved cows, 60 days of milk, um, that herd is delivering just shy of 650 kilos of milk solids, George, um, annualized. So something around 2.5 kilos of milk solids um, at that peak period. We know okay. that 22 kilos of, of, of dry matter intake isn't a problem. Okay, that's fair, fair going now because I grew up with. Can you expand on the importance of PDIN to PDIE balance in the diet formulation and what yeah. are your targets for setting up a diet? Great question in the fact that when we actually look at that, the Johnstown overall um, protein levels in the Johnstown diet have been reduced down to 15.5%. Okay. Um, on a crude protein basis. On a crude protein basis. But the, it sounds the pro- deficient. Yes, which sounds deficient. And what, what we'd actually see, a lot of diets may be sitting at 17, 17%, maybe 17.5%. But I suppose the important point there, George, rather than looking at crude protein is, as, as the person has asked, the mm. PDIE and the PDAN, so the energy um, derived protein or derived protein and the nitrogen derived protein, um, that they're balanced. If we have a surplus of one over the other, ultimately, we're not utilizing the protein to the best of our ability within that diet. And I suppose that's where it allows us, George, to reduce down um, that to 15.5% because we're actually utilizing um, all the protein that's available in the diet. You could have a diet, 
Absolutely. You could have a diet sitting at 17.5% that, that, that has excess of PDIN in the diet um, and ultimately in terms of all the cows I was actually doing there is, is burning off, is burning off conditioned by excreting protein. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Look at uh, ladies and gentlemen, if there are no other questions, now's your last chance. I'm going to wrap this two or three take-home messages, James, from you. One would be just watch your costs and measure them. Number yeah. two would be make quality silage and maybe tailor your diet, the diet that have been fed to the cows uh, on actual yield. And the third thing is whether you're in spring or winter milk or liquid milk production, you know, breeding for a high EBI um, type of herd with good fertility and milk uh, sub-indices is, is the way to go. Absolutely. Thanks very much, George. Okay. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And thank you, James, for your contribution. For next week, um, we're not going to have a session because next Thursday, this day week, will be the second day of our national dairy conference. So can I extol as many of you as possible to come to the conferences? I've, I've been proofreading the, the conference papers and there are some really good papers in there. Uh, we'll meet the following week then. That's this day fortnight or the 15th of December for our last Let's Talk Dairy of twenty. 22, and we'll be joined on that session by Joe Patton, who will give us a summary of what happened at the National Dairy Conference. So listen, thank you, our audience, and thank you, James, very much for your contribution here today. I look forward to talking to you all again in two weeks' time. That's all for this week's bonus episode from the Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with the usual Dairy Edge podcast on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Stuart Childs and thanks for listening.